when you try me with a mediocre question, that's the result you're going to get. <laughs> uh, starting left fielder. Uh, Ichiro. No! God, please, no! No! There is some potential there. If he would just, I don't know, use his brain. Um, <laughs> because, especially, I mean, come on, man. Jerry Depoto's the GM. Who the hell knows? Looking out my window and this FedEx driver just hit a tree. You are no gentleman. And neither are you. Hey guys, what is going on? And welcome to the Soto Mojo podcast. This is Colby Patnode. I'm joined as always by Ty Gonzalez. Uh, Ty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Last night was fantastic. I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, how are you feeling, man? Uh, it was a pretty crazy night, right? Yeah, it was it was pretty good, man. That was the uh, most fun baseball game in, I don't know, a month, give or take. Um, you know, it was just a really good back and forth type of baseball game. And of course, you know, the you know, the Mariners had some some young guys step up and uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So, I mean, it's always good when you see parts of the imaginary plan coming together for the Mariners um and last night we got to see two of them and today i'm guessing we'll probably see donnie walton and it sounds like on thursday we'll get to see justin dunn so i mean it's good man it's 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 hard to complain so did you see that weird stat a bunch of people posted last night that from 1995 to uh, 2019 the mariners are 1995 and 2019 yeah that's their record and that's also the same as uh, bruce bochy's record Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. That's how, that part. That's how someone discovered the the Mariners part of it. They they first discovered the Bruce Bochy thing, and then they looked it up. And sure enough, if the Mariners won last night, they would have done the same thing. And yeah, they there did. you go. They 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 won. Wow. So that's what that's a span of nineteen ninety five to twenty nineteen. Um, how many years is that? That's yeah, twenty four years. Yeah. And they're twenty four games under five hundred. I mean <laughs> talk about uh mediocrity right there. Yeah. Um that it that is an awesome stat though. But uh but yeah, last night was as much fun as you could possibly have with a with a September game for a team that's fifty nine and eighty six, so sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so let's go ahead and let's uh, let's talk about last night's game. Um, let's start with. Hmm, do I want to make you wait or do we just do it now? Um, yeah, we'll just let, let's talk. Let's talk about Kyle Lewis here. Right. Um, Kyle Lewis, as you guys know, uh, was called up officially. Um, not yesterday, the day before. He's in the lineup for the first time uh, in yesterday's game facing Trevor Bauer. Um, hitting six, playing right field, and um, he was uh, the, he's pretty good, pretty good. So yeah, <laughs> um, Ty, I mean, what did you see from Kyle Lewis? And uh, I know your excitement level was quite high. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, we kind of saw what he did in spring training. Uh, even um, the home run was very reminiscent of that one that he hit in spring training. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? The the one that kind of yeah. just towered. Yeah. It was pretty much the same angle and everything. It, and, um, you know, our, our, our pal, Jason Churchill, he, he, uh, he posted that, you know, his swing just looks different from 
how it did even just a few days ago in the in the Texas League semis. It's I I don't know if they've made a change or or, or what, but he just looked um he just looked really solid at the plate. Uh just really poised and and you know the first at bat he got behind early and and worked the count and hit a hard ball to to third base, you know, unfortunately went right to Suarez and you know, and the next time he comes up and Bauer's struggling, even though that he had a no hitter going, he was really struggling and up there, you know, visibly upset with himself. And uh, he just left one there for 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 Kyle, and uh, you know, he got the fastball that he wanted and just destroyed it. Four hundred twenty six feet, hundred six uh, mile per hour uh, exit velocity. It was just insane, and and such a cool moment with his parents there. And and really, when you think about you know what Kyle Lewis has gone through to to get to this point, it was really emotional moment and and just a, a an amazing moment to to witness really because you know this is a like like Jake Fraley and, and Chad Long et cetera those guys are are great and exciting to to see ca- get called up but Kyle Lewis is you know a former first round pick that you know a lot of people have high expectations for and has the potential to be an above average player at the major league level. But, you know, obviously the journey to this point has been a rough one for him. And, uh, you know, just but to see, you know, someone of that stature do that in his first game with the Mariners, you know, to 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 see that player do that and say that guy's on my team is uh, it was pretty, pretty fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, you talk about the the struggles Kyle Lewis has gone through just to uh to play baseball again and then to see him up at the big league level um, and succeed. It was, it was awesome. So um, I, uh, you know, it was, it was just really cool because uh, by all accounts, Kyle Lewis is a great dude, um, an extremely hard worker. And, you know, you talk about how just absolutely shredded his knee was. Um, It was, it was rough. Um, you know, and it just kind of derailed because if you remember that first month or so in uh, in Everett, um, he was looking like there was a really good chance he was going to get called up to a ball, and then um, you know before that season had ended, and he was going to kind of take the Julio Jones type of fast track, um, and then the unfortunately he sh- he slides in, he hurts his knee, um, and it's just two years before he can play or a year before he can play and just another year before he can get out there with, without pain, constant pain in his knee. Um, and he comes up and, uh, you know, he has a nice season in Arkansas, not a great season, but a pretty nice one. Um, and now he gets to, uh, to come up in September, he gets to play a little bit and he's already got his first home run on the board. Um, so it's just really cool to see uh, a story like that come through. Um, you know, overall, I, I, the swing thing, he used to have, or he still probably does, have a, a big leg kick. Um, that was kind of one of the concerns coming out of college. He had the high, he'd lift his front leg high um, before his swing. Um, and that was pretty much gone. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I believe on the home run swing, it was pretty much he just picked his foot up and put it right back down. I don't know if that's just trying to shorten the swing for Bauer or if that's something the Mariners have already decided they want to change or whatever it is. I guess we'll see more tonight. Um, but yeah, it was the, the swing was a little bit, sh- a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker through the zone, um, which is good because Lewis, um, you know, prospect wise, the power is there. He needs to make more contact. 
Um, and he needs to put the ball in the air more. Uh, he had a pretty high ground ball rate in the minors, um, which, I mean, obviously you can't hit a ground ball out of the ballpark. So mm. we'll see how all that goes. But, uh, you know, short sample size here. Um, just just awesome. Um, and I think he looks like he belongs. So uh, um, it was really cool to see from Kyle Lewis. Uh, and I, I tweeted last night, arguably the coolest moment uh, since the Ichiro stuff in March. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know. It was, just, it was just awesome. And it's just kind of a celebration of a, of a guy um, that, you know, went from premier prospect to a legitimate question mark as to whether he would play in the major leagues. And then he, uh, he comes up and he does that in his second at bat. It was, it was just really awesome to see. Yeah. And he almost had a, had a chance to uh, potentially have a game winner uh, until Kyle Seager kind of took that into his own hands. Uh, he was in line for that for ninth inning at bat, but it turned out the Mariners didn't need the ninth inning. Uh, I mean, man, Kyle Seager's been destroying everything uh, these last couple months. I, I mean, what? How do we feel that? Uh, about where he or what he's done to kind of put himself forward and, and get back on the horse. Uh, I mean, we're almost what six, seven weeks into it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, the stat line, overall stat, stat line that he's put up in that time is not sustainable. Um, but the success he's having seems to be, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't think that. You know he's going to be a 300 hitter or anything, but he he certainly looks like a guy who can uh, kind of repeat what he did in uh, or at least come close to what he did in 2016 and 2015. So uh, you know overall, it's it's hard not to be pleased with Kyle Seager as a um, as a Seager believer or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, it's been a long time coming for me. It was a pretty rough year um, defending him, and then a pretty rough couple of uh months there while he worked his way back but uh it's it's awesome man it's it's really cool um kyle seager is um you know in many ways arguably the most underrated mariner of all time i mean the guy's been really good for long stretches of his career um and the first time he hit any kind of serious adversity people just kind of gave up on him uh and he worked his way back, and now the swing looks good. You know, the approach looks good. He's driving the ball the other way. We've seen him hit a couple home runs to left field. Um, but more importantly, he's taking that outside pitch, and he's very much willing to serve it into left field for a base hit. And he's not sacrificing any power to his pole side to do it. Um, like I said, the swing looks good. The approach is working. Uh, Kyle Seeger's been really good for the last six or seven weeks now. Um, and it's probably time to start looking at him as part of the future as opposed to uh, somebody that you can just trade away um, or you're just it, trying to dump. So it's it's crazy, too. He's a three win player by by uh, fan graph standards through just 89 games. That's practically a six win pace. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's you know, when you get into that range, that's almost MVP level. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all star quality. At the very least, um, you know, I think his 2016 season, he was at uh, six wins. Uh, That may be baseball reference war, um, but I'm pretty sure he had a six win season in there. I mean, even 2017, you know, it was it wasn't a great year for him, but uh, he was still valuable. He was still an everyday player. Um, 
but like I said, I, I think you're looking at Seager now as part of 2020 and 2021, as opposed to let's see if we can find a way to dump this guy and open up the roster spot. Um, because I mean, Seager's what 31 years old. He's not. He's not mm. old. Yeah. I mean, he's still relatively young and in his prime. So, um, you know, right now I think his average is up to 247, and he's got uh, pretty close to an 850 OPS. Um, with his defense, that'll play. So I think Kyle Seager has kind of raised his his uh, standing in the uh, Mariners organization. Um, and, you know, it just kind of goes to show you that you probably shouldn't give up on a guy after one bad year. Um, How cool when, would it be if he was a part of this? You know, let's say that they, you know, the plan comes together, et cetera, and, and Kyle Seager is in the middle of that when no one really thought that he was going to be a part of it. You know, every, you know, we, we've been talking about shed long or, you know, uh, going out and trying to find a third base baseman or, or something like that to, to address that need. And maybe the answer has always been there. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like I say, Kyle Seager turns 32 in November. He's got, um, he's got, uh, two years left on his contract and then a team option. Um, so up to three years left on his contract here, um, making 19.5 million next year, 18.5 the year after, and then it's a $15 million team option, um, for his age 34 season. Uh, so, you know, scheduled to make, you know, 50, just over $50 million over the next three years. Um, I think that'd be, I think that'd be really awesome, uh, to be honest with you, because he's, I know a lot of people, Oh, Kyle Seeger was never worth a hundred million dollars. Well, yes, he was. And in fact, he's already given you a hundred million dollars worth of production, um, in his contract with three years to go. That, that, that's a good contract that the Mariners gave out. Um, it looked bad there for a minute, uh, for 2018. Um, but it looks just fine now. So, um, It'd be awesome. And, you know, there is we talk we kind of scoff at the idea of veteran presence and thing like and things like that. And, uh, you know, I do, too, sometimes. But there's a difference between the veteran presence of the rotting corpse of Ichiro versus the veteran presence of somebody who can still perform Mm -hmm. um, and can still give you value. And Kyle Seeger is definitely there right now. So uh, it it would be very cool. And, um, you know, like I said, Seeger is probably a guy who is at the end of his career is going to be drastically overlooked. Um, he's by the way, he's passed 30 wins above replacement this year. Um, career. He's, he's one of the best Mariners of all time. Uh, nobody will see it that way. And I I just think that's sad. So it would be, it would be very cool if he was around, um, when the Mariners kind of made their playoff run. I think it's possible because, there's not a lot of third base prospects in the system. And unless you're going to go out and buy one, um, you're probably not going to get much of an upgrade anywhere. So yeah, I I think it would be really cool. And I I think there's some value to having that veteran around and somebody who's, you know, we've seen come in and he's willing to change his body and he's willing to change his approach and he's willing to change how he goes about his business after being successful for five, six years in a row. Um, Something that, Felix Hernandez was never willing to do and still isn't. Um, I think that's, I think there's some value there to showing your young guys that, Hey, look, I mean, this is a guy who's a Seattle Mariner through and through. He came up through the system. He hit a brick wall 
And instead of just constantly running into the brick wall, he figured out a way around it. And he changed himself. He changed his body. He changed his mentality. He changed his approach. And now he's successful again. And I think there's I think there's value to having that guy in your locker room. So um, I, I think it would be just awesome if he was around for that. Um, we'll see. Um, this, I, is, this is also his first year since 2013 that he's had a positive BSR. <laughs> base running season. Um, yeah, you know, he, not not too many stupid mistakes on the bases. Uh, For a guy def- that's been notorious with quite a few. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, you know, there there's value in Kyle Seeger still, um, both on and off the field. And, uh, you know, I'm always going to uh, support Kyle Seeger. I, th- I think he's drastically underrated, both as a Mariner and as a big league baseball player. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it just saddens me that people don't realize how great this guy is. Um, and nothing would make me happier than for him to, you know, be part of the team that broke this playoff streak. And I hope it happens. I don't know that it will, um, because if a team's going to come along and give you a nice prospect and let you clear some payroll, um, in a trade, that type of thing, then yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm open to it. You know, I'm certainly not saying no to that opportunity, but I just hope he sticks around because um, uh, Kyle Seeger's awesome. So, yeah, that's I mean, it's been a while since I praised Kyle Seeger. That felt good. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, let's go ahead. Let's look at the uh, the other youngster who uh, who played yesterday. I say youngster. He's older than you, Ty, and he's only yep. I, I'm only like, what, three years older than him or something like that. So, um <laughs> But anyways, let's let's go. Let's talk Justice Sheffield. Interesting, uh, interesting matchup or interesting uh, performance there for Sheffield. I think if you watch the game versus uh, watch, looking at his stat line, you come away with some uh, some drastically different opinions. But uh, what did you think of Justice Sheffield overall? By the way, I'm older. I'm older than Justice by 12 days. So, Oh, so just you can getting, call me youngster. Okay. Just 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 putting it out there. So this youngster here uh, <laughs> looked pretty uh he looked pretty solid. I, I you know, obviously had had some struggles and the Reds got to him a little bit. Um some of that pressure, the you know, the one run kind of coming off of uh uh Lewis misplaying the ball and, and diving a little short of the ball there uh, down near the foul line and um I think that's one that he should be able to get to typically just given his athleticism, but Either way, I you know, uh, for justice, I I think you know we saw some uh, some of the issues, some of just that he's had to deal with of not being able to put hitters away in a timely fashion and, and everything. But I mean, at the end of the day, he goes six innings. He only gives up one run against a pretty good lineup. Uh, I'll take that any day of the week. And you know, he was able to keep the ball on the ground when he needed it. Got you know three double plays. Got probably three comebackers to him as well, uh, if not more. Uh, so that was that was nice to see uh, that he was able to manufacture outs without missing bats, uh, and that he's able to to do that uh, if things go awry and he's and he's not able to get the uh, the strikeout numbers that he's accustomed to that he, you know he's able to get these outs in other ways. So um, I you know it's it's another you know really poised, uh, start from justice. You know, I said that about him last week after the, after the Cubs start. And again, this week, I, I just, 
I saw poise out of him. I saw him not really getting too flustered from things going wrong. And, you know, and especially like when, uh, when Lewis also missed the other ball, um, where he mistimed his, his route and, uh, and the ball sailed over his head when that happened and pressure was put on justice. I, I, you know, you didn't see him waver. He stuck in there and he was able to get out of it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really encouraged by what I've been seeing out of him. Uh, especially in the last couple starts and even, even dating back to the Yankees game. I, I, um, yeah, I, I just, I think he's, I think he's adjusted well now this time around. And now that he's actually getting proper, uh, proper work and, you know, proper amount of innings, um, I think he's running with it. Right. Um, so last night, 91 pitches at 53 strikes, I believe, mm-hmm. um, you know, didn't really have the good slider yesterday and the reds pretty much came in and decided we're just going to sit on the slider. Um, you know, if he throws us a fastball, then, uh, we'll take it. Um, and we're just going to wait for that slider and we're going to ambush that pitch. Um, he threw 35 sliders. He did get five swings and misses on it. Um, but it was put in play four times with the average exit velocity of 97 miles an hour. Uh, they hit the print. They, they had touched up the slider pretty good. Um, one of the uh, positive developments in terms of his pitch selection and things like that. Um, he threw 14 changeups yesterday. Um, and he got, uh, three swings and misses on the 14 changeups. Uh, he got four called, four called strikes and, uh, three balls were put in play for an average exit velocity of 76 miles an hour. Uh, the hardest hip changeup will, will left the bat at 84.1 miles an hour. Uh, the changeup was really good yesterday. Uh, Ten strikes on 14 of them. Um, it was just nice to see him introduce that pitch because that is a pitch he is going to need if he wants to stay in the rotation. That's been a pretty common uh, theme amongst us that he needs that third pitch uh, to stay in the rotation. Um, but like you know, the fastball was good. You know, average 90, 93 and a half miles an hour. So 93 to 94. Touched 95 once or twice. Um, and like I said, the slider wasn't great, but he still managed to work through it. Um, and it's an important lesson that, you know, you have to learn. I don't have my good stuff. I don't have great command tonight. How am I going to get through this game and give my team a chance? And he did it. And, um, you know, he, he worked through it. And that was not something that Justice Sheffield could do in Tacoma earlier this year. Um, if he didn't have it, he got shelled. And now he comes up against, you know, a, a pretty good, Decent uh, lineup, I would say. Um, you know, nothing spectacular, but not nothing to scoff at. It's it's there's there's quality throughout the lineup here, yeah. um, and he gets through six, and he only gives up one earned run. And you know, like I said, there were some questionable defensive plays, but uh, overall, I thought he was fine. Um, it's it's another step in the right direction, um, and it's an important one to have now, where you just. You know, I don't have my stuff. How do I get through this? How do I keep my team in the game? And he did it, and he figured it out. Um, a lot of credit to Tom Murphy to helping him kind of navigate that. Um, I thought Tom Murphy had a really nice game behind the plate. Uh, so, I, you know, overall, it's it's hard not to start being encouraged by Justice Sheffield. He's dropped his uh, ERA to uh, under four five now. Uh, so he's been. He's been good now for a couple in a row. Uh, he was solid in the Chicago game, and you mentioned the Yankee start before that. Um, he's been he's been pretty good. So uh, he's yeah. a, still still work to do, obviously. Um, 
but uh, he just seems to show something different every single start. Um, and as we continue to learn more and more about him, uh, you know, my confidence level in him never really wavered. Uh, mm. and there's no reason for it to right now. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much, how many more starts he gets. He's already at 155 innings this year. Uh, his previous career high was 127. So, uh, I mean, I don't know how far they want to push him, but, uh, yeah, he's closing in on 160 innings, uh, between the minors and, uh, Seattle. So we'll see how many more he's got left. Well, and as you mentioned, you know, the slider wasn't uh, incredible for him uh, last night, but still managed to, to pick up five swinging strikes off of it. And also the velocity on the fastball was uh, hanging around 95 for, for the most part, which was really nice. He was more 92, 93 against Chicago, obviously was there uh, quite a bit last night as well, but. You know, I like seeing those those ninety fours, those ninety fives more often um, than uh, than he's than he's been throwing them lately. So um, good stuff all around. Really, just uh, impressed overall with with what he's been able to do, especially over the last couple starts. Sure, um, I believe his next start will be against the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, it um, should be Sunday. Yeah, right. That that's a pretty good lineup as well. Um, Abreu and Moncada and Anderson. Um, three big, you know, right-handed bats that he'll have to deal with. Um, that'll, that'll be an interesting one to watch. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he shows. Uh, he said the results are, you know, the results of his last two starts are nice. You know, the 11 innings, the one earned run against two, uh, really solid lineups, but, uh, just kind of the process overall and seeing him pitch around, uh, trouble, seeing him pitch with traffic, seeing him when he has the good slider and how many swings and misses he can generate versus when he doesn't. And he's just kind of battling through the lineup a couple times and, uh, you know, seeing him get through six innings for the first time was, uh, was also encouraging. So, uh, you know, the numbers have been nice the last couple of, uh, outings, but uh, more importantly, Justice Sheffield is showing that he can be a major league starter. Um, even when he doesn't have, uh, his, his, uh, best stuff. And that's, that's pretty cool. So, mm-hmm. um, Anything else you want to uh, talk about before we kind of move along here, Ty? Uh, depends on what we're moving on to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Justin Dunn and what the Mariners' plan is for then, him. Yeah, then let's just get into that. All right. So, um, if you guys haven't, if you guys uh, didn't hear, which I'm sure by now you have, uh, Justin Dunn was also called up with Kyle Lewis and uh, Donnie Kyle Walton. Lewis, Donnie Walton, who okay. appeared in a game last night. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm imagining Walton will be in the lineup today, and Art Warren also got called up. Yep, Art Warren as well. So, uh, those four guys have been called up. Uh, Justin Dunn is interesting. He, as you guys know, was acquired in the Edwin Diaz trade. He was kind of the secondary piece behind Kelnick, um, and he's already blown through his uh, career high in innings pitched this year. So there was kind of a question about how are the Mariners going to handle that. Um, well, it was uh, reported by uh, Ryan Divish of the Seattle Times that the uh, the Mariners' plan is to basically attach uh, Justin Dunn to the same schedule that um, Tommy Malone is on. So on the days Tommy Malone is scheduled to start, uh, Justin Dunn will pitch. Uh, now, we don't know if that means he's just going to be the opener and he's going to go out there for his one inning. 
and uh, that'll be it. We don't know if that means he's going to piggyback and go two or three innings after Malone does, uh, but that's the plan. So every five days or whatever, you'll see Dunn for at least an inning, or I would imagine. So, um, And uh, I did misspeak. He did have 135 innings last year. He's at 131.2 this year, so he's he's pretty close. So we'll see how many innings he actually goes, but that's the plan. Uh, kind of a I, I, him and Malone are kind of one starter now. Uh, what do you think, Ty? You like that idea? Yeah, I think it's a good idea uh, not to put a whole lot of stress on his arm. Uh, you know, it's been through a lot this year already. So uh, Divish did mention that if he was an opener, he would be a multi-inning opener. Uh, so. I would assume that means two to three innings and then Malone would come in just depending on on what Dunn's pitch count looks like, et cetera, and you know, and how how his start really goes. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's a good opportunity to get him, um, you know, a, a couple innings here and there and and uh, not put a whole lot of stress on the rest of the bullpen um, because they have Malone and everything to to kind of take on the bulk of the work and. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's a really good idea, especially, uh, if they work him as an opener to, to get him to face, uh, tops of the, uh, of good lineups. And, uh, you know, his, I assume, uh, tomorrow is going to be his first day yep. out there. So, uh, you know, he's going to go up against this Reds offense that, uh, you know, that has guys like, uh, Joey Votto and, and, uh, and Aquino and, and, uh, Eugenio Suarez, et cetera, you know, guys that can uh, can do some legitimate damage, and we'll see how 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 it works out for him. But um, yeah, I think this is a I think it's a really good plan just to to get him a few innings and get him uh, get him adjusted to the to the major league level and uh, allow him to go into next year with some confidence as he as he looks to uh, break camp with the team. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess I would just ask um, maybe what. What are you looking for um, out of Justin Dunn? Um, not necessarily numbers wise, but what what are you hoping to see here? As he's probably going to make four appearances this month, if my math is right, about mm-hmm. four. So, mm-hmm. uh, what are you just kind of hoping to see out of those four innings or those four outings that probably total less than fifteen innings? Um, just does does the stuff play at this level? Um, you know, you and I have kind of talked about whether he might end up being a high leverage reliever or a starter, and I just want to see something that that shows that he can be a starter in this league, um, and that he has the stuff to to do that, and uh, and that's and that's really all that that I care about seeing. I just I want to see him uh, stay in the zone and and make solid pitches and. Um, you know, and and that's about it. Any, you know, the typical hopes for any young pitcher, really, that comes up. Right. Um, you know, like I said, he's getting close to his innings uh, career high here. Um, so what I would like to see is I would like to see him. Uh, I would like to see the fastball velocity stay up. Um, as a starter, he's typically, you know, 92 to 96. Um, as a reliever, he's 99 ish in 98 99 miles an hour um so it'll be interesting to see how he attacks these outings as he is he viewing himself as the starter or is he just coming in and throwing gas uh so it'll be interesting to see fastball velocity i also want to see the slider against big leaguers Mm -hmm. um like i said that's probably his bread and butter pitch uh, is the slider 
but uh yeah you know you just want to see how the stuff plays you want to see location um you know you want to see him not look like he's at the end of a long season um he is but uh, the Mariners have done a pretty good job of managing his innings throughout and you do want to see improvement in the inning count um we talked about how Justice Sheffield's already at 160 almost 160 um he's going to get there it seems like uh, and it seems pretty unlikely that uh, Justin Dunn's going to get to 150, which I think would be a really nice uh, bump for him. But yeah, you just want to see the stuff play. You want to see good command or good control at least. And you just want to see him um, get comfortable on the mound uh, because he will be with the team in spring training next year for a, a good length, I would imagine. I don't know that he makes the team. And I don't know if he does. I would say if he does make the team out of spring training, that probably means the Mariners did not have a very good off season. Um, but we'll see. There's de- there's definitely going to be an opportunity. He can wow people and he can make that jump. Um, I think ultimately he'll start the year in Double A again, or if depending if they want to send him to Tacoma or not, play with that ball. Uh, but I I think he can. I don't think there's much he can do in terms of raising his uh, his timeline to the big leagues. I still think. You know, he'll get called up sometime next year, May, June-ish, um, and then he'll probably stick for most of the year uh, as well. So no reason to really rush him, but uh, I do want to see him uh, – do just want to see him look comfortable and look like a big leaguer, and I think he will. Uh, you know, Justin Dunn's got good stuff, and if he doesn't have to get through a lineup two times, then he can survive off the fastball and the slider. And that's probably what he's going to try and do. So uh, you just, just want to see him look comfortable and look like a big leaguer. So um, I am I'm very very excited to see Dunn pitch uh, on Thursday. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, obviously it's unfortunate we didn't get to see Donnie Walton in the lineup yesterday. That would have been fun. We could talk about that. Um, but that'll have to wait for a later podcast. Uh, we did we did get a few questions here, so uh, let's go ahead and let's dive into our Q and A segment here. Sure. Um, here we go. So let's start with uh, a question from at uh, J Rod Show Junkie on Twitter, um, with the uh, Twitter name Julio the Future. Uh, can't quite put my finger on who his favorite player is, but uh, <laughs> anyways, um, he would like to know at what point next season do uh, we think Logan Gilbert will make his debut? Um, and then he has a second question we'll get to afterwards, but uh, June. I don't know, Ty, you think it's June? <laughs> yeah, June. June feels good. Um, give some some time just to, to you know throw a good amount of innings and double A and just get back into the groove of things and Obviously, service time and everything will won't be a factor at that point in the season. So, yeah, I think June's solid. Uh, perhaps May, but that really more so I think depends on uh, what's going on with the rotation in particular. But yeah, I I, I feel comfortable in saying June. Yeah, I think uh, I think June's pretty fair. Um, this is really dependent on what the Mariners do in their rotation. Right now, they have in theory three open spots. Um, you would hope that those three spots would be filled by uh, veterans or at least two of them. Uh, I suppose I should throw Justin Sheffield in there now. Uh, so two open spots. Um, 
you know, we talked a little bit about this in the last podcast. You would like to see a vet, like a solid quality veteran in that rotation. So one spot open, depending on injuries and all that stuff. I I think June is pretty fair. Um, Logan Gilbert will also be with the club in spring training. Uh, And I imagine he'll get a pretty long look as well. Um, So it's not outside the realm of possibility that he makes it kind of uh, similar to uh, Chris Paddock uh, of the, of the Padres this year who kind of came out of nowhere and uh, forced his way onto the big league rotation. Um, But I still do think because they're not really going to be competing, they're going to try and kind of slow that down a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say that uh, he will be up uh, sometime in early June. uh, Let's say after the draft. So that's when he'll be up. All right. Um, so part two of the question here is um, how many levels do you think Julio will play uh, next season? So uh, I know you think he'll probably start in double A. Uh, yeah. I tend to disagree. But uh, if he's starting in double A, how high will he get? How many levels? There's only two levels to go at that point. So uh, I think he'll play all, you know, sticking with the idea that he. Um... He starts in double A and of course I, I that statement to me is contingent upon if he if he shows out well at the at the Arizona Fall League. Um so I'm kinda waiting for that to definitively say that. But uh just going with the idea that he starts in double A, I think he plays the whole season in double A and gets a call up to the major leagues in September. All right. So just one level jump, but it's a jump to the big leagues. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yes. So just skips AAA completely. Yeah. Um, let's see. See, so for me, I think he probably starts next year at Modesto. Again, I don't think he's there for long, but I do think he starts there. Mm. Um, so he'll jump from Modesto to Arkansas. And then I think he'll probably end up in AAA. Again, for how long? I don't know. I think he'll spend a bulk of his season at, at uh, Arkansas. Um, but I think he'll probably get to AAA and then... I think it also depends on what happens with AAA next year, is and specifically, you know, the the PCL and how that goes. And if it's if it's going to be as insane as it is this year, um, I just don't really see a point. I don't think there's a whole lot you can learn about a player in the PCL right now, right? Particularly a hitter. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I still think they'll probably send him to AAA. It, it's interesting because. Next year, the Mar- or all of Major League Baseball, they've limited the number of call-ups that you can have. Um, it's 28 players, I believe, on the active roster. Mm-hmm. Um, they're also doing something different next year where they have, uh, I believe it's 26 players on your roster. Yeah. Uh, but only 25 can actually dress for the game. Um, so that is an extra pinch spot because, I mean, any team that doesn't have Shohei Otani will simply deactivate the previous night's starting pitcher. Um, so I, I'm still not quite sure how all that's going to work. I, I should probably do more research on that and have a better understanding. But uh, so I don't know if he's going to get called up in September or not, um, but I, he's definitely going to go from Modesto, assuming he starts there, I don't know, uh, to Arkansas. That's one jump. And then yeah, I think probably he makes two Two jumps. I don't know if it'll be to the big leagues, but it. I'd be shocked if he didn't finish a 
ahead of double a next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so either triple a or the majors. Um, and you know, if, if he doesn't, if he kind of stagnates out at, you know, he, he does okay in Modesto and they promote him and he kind of, you know, just sticks in, in Arkansas for the entire year. That's not a, that's not a, a bad thing at all. So, um, like I said, I, I think he's still on, you know, on pace to kind of stick at the big leagues in 2021. Um, but he has a chance to uh, kind of get his, uh, his feet wet in 2020. So uh, I'll say two uh, from high A to triple A, but, uh, you know, never know. Uh, yep. You can definitely change things. And uh, you also said two, but or just one for you because you think he's going to double A to start the year and then he'll jump to the big leagues mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. So you're saying one, I'll say two. I think he'll uh, get to the big leagues uh, even if he starts in Modesto, though. Because I don't imagine he'll be in Modesto for longer than a month at most. Right. And we'll kind of see. Um, like I said, if if Kelnick, um, if Kelnick had started the season in uh, in high A, he might be in the big leagues right now. But he, uh, I mean, they jumped him two levels. Uh, so that, that was plenty of growth there. So, yeah, it, it's possible. I think... Um, I just I don't know I, I don't want to be too over enthusiastic about that because it's just to expect a 19 year old to make his major league debut uh, is always a bit absurd to me but yeah. Julio's kind of absurd so who knows yeah. um, I mean yeah and I think it's it, you know it's kind of uncharted territory for for you and I because you know and for most Mariner fans really because you know around the league you see guys like. Juan Soto and Fernando Tatis, et cetera, you know, making their debuts at a young age and making that jump from double A straight to the major leagues. And, yeah. uh, yeah. And, you know, when we haven't seen that, but, you know, maybe Julio's that guy. And obviously we don't want to get our, our hopes up and ultimately crushed. But I mean, the, the way that he went to Modesto and just absolutely destroyed the Cal league, um, I don't know. There, there's just something special about him, and we'll see what what happens in the AFL, um, which starts next week, and that's going to be super exciting with him and and Kalnick and six other Mariners prospects. Um, but but man, those two. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, MLB Pipeline they released a a uh, a guess, I don't estimate, whatever. Uh, they tried to predict uh, the top ten prospects. Uh, one year from yesterday, I believe it was, or two days ago. Um, and they had both Kelnick and Julio inside the top 10. Uh, so go check that out if you guys want to get excited. Um, and if you're in the top 10 prospects in baseball, you're probably pretty pretty darn close to the big league. So um, we'll see. We'll see on Julio. Um, like I said, I think next year, though, I feel very confident we will see uh, Logan Gilbert um we'll definitely i think we'll almost certainly see jared kelnick um and then i think there's a i'd call it a true 50 50 shot on julio um which is you know which is actually pretty good because if you asked me six months ago what are the odds that julio rodriguez would be in the big leagues in 2020 um i probably would have said zero (laughs) i mean that's julio rodriguez doesn't turn 19 until what December 31st or something like that. I mean, he's really young. Uh, and, uh, you know, he just 
everywhere along the way just keeps on hitting. So, uh, I, I, I still say two, uh, Ty says one, uh, and we'll see, um, not much we can do, but wait and dream and love Julio as our savior, which I'm sure he will be. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, let's move on to another question here from, uh, William Lofton, uh, at W loft 96. Um, he says that he, uh, that uh, we usually talk about offensive comps for players, but he's curious about potential defensive comps for some of the top prospects. He gives the example, is Mitch Hanniger a good defensive comp for Kyle Lewis? Um, I will start with that one. No. <laughs> um, no. Hanniger is a really good right fielder. Um, Kyle Lewis is not a really good right fielder. I think he's solid. I think he, I think he's could be above average in right field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand the, the connection there because Hanniger does play some center um, and Kyle Lewis could in theory play center field and not absolutely destroy you. But Lewis is an outfielder. Uh, he's, he's a corner outfielder. Um, I, I, he's better than Domingo Santana. I'll say that, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't think he's as good as Hanniger. He's, I think he's just league average going to be league average. In do you field. think he's Aaron judge? I don't know how good Aaron Judge is. I, I honestly, uh, I, I don't know. But looking at them, I see kind of they're both big guys. Stuff. Well, from the the little that I've seen of Aaron Judge in the field, that's kind of what he looked like to me last night. But that's just you know. I mean, you're going to run into issues comparing anybody to Aaron Judge, but uh, yeah, like I said, I, it's tough because I don't know how good. At, I don't know how good at defense guys are that I don't watch every day. Yeah. Um, we can we can pull up you know defensive runs saved and but those aren't perfect. They're far from it actually, and so it's really tough to kind of say yeah he's like this guy defensively, um, unless we're talking about like absolute elite or absolute garbage. Uh, those guys are pretty easy to peg. Um, yeah, but uh, like I said, I think I think I would say Lewis is a tick below Hanniger. As a defender, if Hanniger is a 55, 60 grade right fielder, I think Kyle Lewis is probably a 50. Mm. Uh, so that's right about league average, I would say. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Other top prospects, I don't know how much you know about their defense, but uh, I guess that would be uh, Kelnick would be. You think he's. It's, it's just, it's so hard to compare defensive profiles. Um, just like so I've much harder than. Seen. Yeah, I mean that's just. Are we only seen on really crappy camera angles on MILB TV? Yeah, because you don't get the data on routes and everything like that with the with the minor league guys, and and you don't really get to see you know uh, because the camera cuts at weird angles or at weird times, so you don't get to see the whole you know play develop and everything. Yeah, yeah, so I, you know that that's a bit hard for for me to peg. You know I. Obviously, we've you know we've heard the 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 comps on Kelnick like you know Grady Sizemore and stuff like that, and that's kind of for an all around game type of right. thing. And so, yeah, and so and I really I really don't know I really don't know you know maybe Kelnick's someone like Brett Gardner you know early on in his career I don't know I I really right I I think Gardner I, or sorry uh, I think Kelnick I would say. Uh, better in center field than Malik Smith. Yeah. Um, which is to say he can handle it and do just fine. Uh, 
uh, probably best suited for left or right field, um, where he probably, again, better than Malik Smith in a corner, and Smith's pretty good in a corner. Um, so, you know, you talk about guys like Braden Bishop, who we've seen play a little bit of defense now. Um, based on that reputation, he's top 10 center fielder uh, defensively. Um, he's not Byron Buxton, but he's the best defensive player or defensive outfielder in the entire system. Um, so I, Bishop's probably a 65 grade outfielder. Yeah. Whereas a guy like Byron Buxton's an 80, uh, top of the scale. Um, so I don't, the guy that if we, yeah, if we, yeah, that's what I was going to say. If we, if we wanted to talk about a comp for Braden Bishop, it's Kevin Pilar, um, both offensively and defensively, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think Braden Bishop is pretty much Kevin Pilar. Um, I think that that's a good ceiling for him too. I think. And the other thing is, is that we don't know where these guys are going to end up playing. Um, yeah. And just by way of example, Noel V. Marte is playing shortstop in the DSL. He committed 30 airs this year. Uh, most of them have been throwing airs, which is a good sign because you can fix throwing airs. Um, that's usually just mechanical. You can fix that. Um, but Noelvi Marte is also freakishly fast. Um, 70, 75 grade runner. Uh, so for all we know, next year he's going to be transitioned to center field or he's going to be outgrow shorts. He's 6'1", 185 at 18 years old, he could grow another three inches and put on another 20 pounds. And then all of a sudden we're talking about him as a third baseman where we don't know. So that's why it's so hard to, to comp defensively. Um, you know, I would say, uh, it's just easier to just kind of say average above average. And then you can kind of fill in your own player there that you think is average or above average. Yeah. Um, like I said, Evan white, for example, that's, that's a, that's a, uh, that's an example of a up like a high end defensive player. Evan White is, by way of example, the best defensive first pay, baseman in professional baseball, regardless of level. You put him on a major league diamond, he is the best defense. He's the best defender at first base. Period. Um, and I think almost significantly so. He's he's just flat out better. He's a, an elite first baseman. Uh, some people have said he's the best defensive player, regardless of position, in all of minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. But I, I like, yeah. So he's a great elite first baseman. He's probably should win the Gold Glove every year. He every year he's qualified to at first base. He's that good. Yeah. But that doesn't mean much. Like, would you rather have a Gold Glove first baseman or a great left fielder, which Evan White could be? Evan White could be a great left fielder well above average because he's a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, wh- which would you rather have the Mariners right now are sticking with him at first base, but they can move him to the outfield. We don't know. So that's why it's really hard to do defensive comps. Um, I would say, uh, you know, I, I would say that most of the Mariners top prospects right now, are either average or better at their current position, um, which is good. Yeah, there's only really a handful of guys that haven't really stuck at a position. You know, someone like Joe Rizzo sticks to mind, but he's he's kind of he, apparently he's made big strides and and um, sticking at third. Third, right? Yeah, and uh, then Austin you know, Shinton, kind yeah. of a, another guy who maybe third, maybe first, maybe left. 
Shed uh, Long is another guy that, yep. that we just don't really know where he's going to fit. You know, he might just be a super utility at the end of the day. Um, I think Long is probably his ceiling defensively is as a average or slightly above average second baseman. And then, you know, how do we feel about Cal Raleigh uh, behind the plate? Defensively? Yeah. Raleigh is... I know he kind of improved this year. Uh, Right. I I feel pretty confident in saying that Raleigh is going to be about league average. Um, When you just factor in his entire package, uh, you're talking pitch calling, pitch framing, blocking, uh, throwing guys out, uh, things like that. I think overall that game is going to end up being very average. Um, somewhere between Narvaez and Murphy. Uh, so he'll he'll be better than Narvaez behind the plate. I don't think he'll be as good as Murphy, uh, but we'll see. I, I think he's you know a 50-grade catcher overall, uh, maybe 55, but, I mean, you know, by way of comparison, Zanino's probably a 65 overall catcher out of 80, um, and Raleigh's probably going to be somewhere 50 or 55, somewhere in between there. So uh, I don't think he'll kill you but I don't think he's going to win any gold gloves. So, right. right. I mean, yeah, that's, that's why it's tough um, to comp those things. But like I said, I, I think pretty much every Mariners top prospect is going to be, or at least looks like they will be average or better at their current position. Um, I don't know what your line of average is. If you think Domingo Santana is an average right fielder, then Kyle Lewis probably going to look like Mitch Haniger. <laughs> I mean, um, but you know, for me, an average right fielder is just kind of, you know, I I don't even know. I don't know who an average right fielder is. <laughs> Nomar Mazar, I don't know. They said I. So it's it's just tough to answer that question because unless I'm watching them every day, I really don't feel super comfortable giving grades like that um, or comparisons like that defensively unless I unless I have, you know, knowledge that their defense is either elite or it's garbage you know, the high end or the low end, then I can give you a comp. But if it's somewhere in the middle, I don't know. I don't, because some people think Derek Jeter was a great defensive shortstop. The metrics tell you he was mediocre at best. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. I'm sorry. Uh, It's just too tough of a question for me to answer. Yeah. All right. Um, it It is something worth watching, though. I will say that. And I do think that we tend to undervalue defense a little bit. Um, But uh, we'll see. We'll see how all that goes. All right, so let's mm-hmm. let's move on to Seattle, uh, our old friend Seattle Nine uh, at Seattle underscore zero nine. Uh, he asked, um, let's "See uh, which two of these four players is most likely to be traded in the off season?" All right, Daniel Vogelback, uh-huh. Domingo Santana, uh-huh. Tom Murphy, uh-huh. and Omar Narvaez. Which two do you think are the most likely to be traded? Mm, I'm going to say Santana Murphy. Hmm, interesting. Um, so I would probably say Santana and uh, Narvaez. Um, so that's interesting. We both have Santana. So why do you think Santana's uh, on that list? Um, I mean, I, you know, obviously they were, they were pretty close to trading him if, if he didn't get hurt uh, there in July. Um, I, I, fully expect that they were that they were going to trade him if if he didn't get hurt so um yeah and i think that that search for a trade partner will continue um 
you know, as long as, you know, reports come in uh, good about about his elbow and everything and and teams are able to verify that, I think there will be a lot of interest in him on the market uh, because of that. And, um, yeah, I, uh, I just I I don't see the fit anymore for him, uh, even going into next year. I think, you know, you have a lot of your your outfield prospects who will need playing time and they're probably going to break uh, camp with you. And, you know, we don't know if Mitch Haniger is going to return next year. And uh, we don't know if Malik Smith is going to return next year. And, you, you know, you think about that plus Braden Bishop, Jake Fraley, Kyle Lewis, you know, Jared Kelnick will eventually come up. Uh, Shed Long's going to play some, some outfield. You don't know if Dylan Moore might stick around and play some outfield as well. So there's, they're going to have a lot of outfielders. I think the only way that Santana would stay on this team is if he made a position change and if he was open to possibly playing some first base, um, which I, you know, I was talking about uh, dating back to last off season. Um, so we'll see on that front, but I, I think it, I, to me, it's almost a foregone conclusion that he's going to get traded um, at some point in the off season. Um, and then as for Murphy, um, as for Murphy, I, I think why why I picked him over over Narvaez uh, specifically is just because of the defensive value that Murphy offers, and and he's still a solid offensive catcher. But I think you know the the defense of Narvaez might scare off some teams, even though that he's been uh, one of the best hitting catchers, possibly the uh, best hitting ca- catcher in the AL outside of. Uh, Gary Sanchez and um, even because even with that I just think because the defense has been so poor that might scare some teams off and I think they would have a better chance of of trading Murphy and actually you know uh, getting something and getting uh, getting a team to give them something uh, that they think is of uh, Murphy's worth or or exceeds that sure I think that's totally fair um they said I'd say Narvaez over Murphy, though, um, for me, uh, because I think the Mariners value defense at that position. Um, Narvaez has certainly gotten better, uh, but he's still below average there. Uh, I think there's going I look at the free agent class of catchers, which we did on SotoMojo.com, by the way. Um, shameless plug. And uh, and there's not a ton of uh, offensive value at that catcher spot in free agency. Uh, it's basically Yasmani Grandal and maybe Robinson Chirinos. Those are kind of it. Um, Travis Darno, if you believe that. Um, but I do think that some team is going to look at Narvaez and they're going to say, well, we can use him at catcher. We need to. He's an above average bat. We can DH him. He can play a little first base. Um, so I, I think they'll give some value. I think they probably would get more for Murphy, but I think they want to keep Murphy more than they want to keep Narvaez. So if they get anything close, I think they're going to send Narvaez away. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's also partially why I would like to see Narvaez play some first base here in the last month. Um, but we've already seen them kind of really start to use Narvaez as a DH. Um, Murphy's getting a lot of the time behind the plate now. We even saw Austin Nola get a few uh, get a few starts behind the plate when uh, Narvaez was dealing with his back issues. Um I feel like they want to go Murphy and uh, Nola next year. Um, that's a total guess. And really the, the Narvaez pick is mainly because I don't think they're going to get 
Uh, like I said, I, I don't think they're going to get something that they view as worth trading Tom Murphy for. And I also don't think they're going to get much interest in Daniel Vogelback, who has really struggled for the last two months and is really just a DH. Um, as much as that hurts Colton's feelings, it's it's true. Um, I don't know how much value. I mean, you can pretty much cut ha- half the league out on uh, on Vogelback already. And then you look at teams that already have DHs um, slash first baseman. There's probably like three teams that could use Vogelback as an upgrade. Um I just I don't see any value there in trading him. Uh, now, if they can, if they can get, you know, um, I don't know what I don't know what the you know. I'm sure Tampa Bay will come calling in <laughs> in, in November. You know, right? And Tampa Bay will turn him into a 300 hitter um, <laughs> with like 80 bombs or something like that. But uh, <laughs> Jesus, I mean. But anyways, yeah, I just I don't see Vogelback generating much trade value at all. He's been really bad for two months now. Um, so I think the Mariners are probably just better off sticking with him and working with him uh, and going into next season with him as their primary DH and then just kind of seeing what you have and seeing if you can help him or if he is what he is, um, which is still an above-average bat overall. But like I said, the last two months have been really bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, I agree. Santana's kind of the no-brainer for me. Um, sounds like they were probably going to trade him. Uh, they had a couple teams very much interested. And then the elbow injury, he went to his, his slump, and that's all she wrote. So um, I, I would say Santana's the obvious one. Uh, I think Vogelback is pretty much the least likely. He has the least value. Uh, so I would eliminate him, which means it's between Narvaez and Murphy, and it's just a matter of how you feel about those guys. So... Um, Santana for sure. And then one of the catchers is kind of our combined answer. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, finally we have a question kind of from, um, from Colton Swanson, uh, Daniel Vogelback's homeboy, um, who, uh, really went into the tank after Colton got his autograph. So I don't know what that's about. Um, Ooh. but anyways, it's he says uh, I've been reading some posts from national baseball writers and it would seem that the Seattle Mariners baseball club doesn't have a plan for the future. Can you tell me when each part of the plan will come to fruition and when each player makes it to the big leagues? Colton, I can't do that because there is no plan. So Yeah, I don't I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> plan. I mean, yeah, there's kind of yeah. roster churning and I mean, it's it's all going to end badly. It's not like they have a top farm system or. Yeah, losing high. losing losing Tim Beckham really derailed everything. Oh my god, man, that was just the dagger. Yeah. Just destroy the season. Hey, by the way, Ty, did you know the Mariners started thirteen and two? I I, I wasn't watching. Oh man, so. But I but I heard Tim Beckham was really awesome. Uh, and, right. And that that really hurts that organization to lose Tim Beckham. Totally, man, because he was playing every, almost every day at that point. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's the Mariners are just bad. You know, they ate $30 million of Edwin Encarnacion's $25 million contract. I heard about that. I heard Unbelievable, about that. man. How did they, the Marlins West, man, I guess. Um, yeah. And why did they trade Jay Bruce? He had like 20 home runs. Yeah, man. And uh, I, I get the, all they care about is money, I guess. I just. I don't know, man. I mean, they're clearly just tanking. They don't want to be good. It's not like they signed, you know, one of the top free agent pitchers this last offseason. 
you know, and their payroll was only $160 million. I mean, that's garbage. Good for 12th in all of baseball, but, I mean, they clearly just don't care about the money. It's all about the money. They just they don't want to spend it. And that Mike Leak trade? Oh, God. God, was that? That was so bad. So bad. I just, our, organi- I can't... our organization is in the tank. I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I guess Jerry Depoto's, I guess, just incompetent. He just, you know. The, the, the Angels fans were right. The Angels fans I, I, I guess it must be. So, I mean, I I, I do want to go to serious mode for a minute. Um, I would like to thank John Heyman um, and to a lesser extent, Bob Nightingale for uniting Mariner fans in your sheer uh, hatred of your stupidity. Um, because that tweet has uh, certainly brought Mariners Twitter uh, closer together as we kind of um, go all out to remind John that what an idiot he is. Um the idea that the Mariners don't have a plan because they're so I'm going to throw this one out there for our listeners real quick and and see if this sticks and you guys can let, let me know. Uh, So you know how with the 76ers, there was the whole process thing, right? And uh, especially with Joel Embiid, that, that kind of became his, his name, his nickname, you know, with coming back from injuries and everything. So if Kyle Lewis plans uh, pans out, can we call him the plan? I mean, wouldn't that fit better with Kelnick then? I mean, I I don't know the I don't know the the NBA all that well, but uh, I mean, well, I'm just saying like the the comparisons between Embiid and Lewis dealing with the injuries and okay, you know, okay. yeah, yeah, and coming back with that. I don't know. We, could, I mean, we can call Kelnick the plan. We can just call the whole thing the plan, if you want. But uh, but yeah, let us know. <laughs> so yeah, we'll we'll make up T-shirts. The plan. Yep. And it'll be silhouettes of uh, of Kelnick, Julio, Gilbert, and what the hell, Daniel Vogelback, because, I mean... You have to have Cornelius. Cornelius. Right. If, if this team actually goes on to do what Jerry DePoto says that he thinks they will go on to do in the next few years, I mean, we got to look back at, at Daniel Vogelback as, like, the pioneer. The catalyst. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's awesome. We should definitely make T-shirts. The plan. Yep. The plan. Trust the plan or whatever. They should. Uh, they should change the team name of Arkan. They are Arkansas Travelers to the plan. The plan. Uh, <laughs> uh, so the plan has become the process. Yep. So, uh, thanks, John Heyman. You're an idiot, and uh, greatly appreciate your moro- your moronic tweet that uh, has given us plenty of fodder and plenty of discussion. And um, stay stupid. So, <laughs> anyways, um, but hey, you know what? At least, at least he watched as a ton of Mariners baseball, so he understands. Uh, you know, he has a right to that opinion uh, because clearly he's watched and read and listened and discussed the Mariners every day. So he worked hard for that opinion, so I guess he can have it. Uh. Anyways, <laughs> Ty, you have anything to say before we sign off? Um. It, I hope it's Donnie Walton time tonight. Yeah, uh, I want to see that guy play. You know, we that was the one guy that we didn't really talk about. Oh, also Art Warren, but um, you know, Walton's a guy that that makes a lot of good contact and get and can get on base at an above average clip. You you stuck a Joey Wendell comp on him as well as a Mark Ellis one. That's a guy that can stick around uh, a ball club and just be a solid contributor for, for many years. And I, I think Donnie Walton kind of has that profile 
Um, not to say that he will be that guy that will be here for the next 10 years and just be kind of a stud at the bottom of your lineup. But, um, yeah, I'm excited about what he can bring and, and kind of be one of those guys that, you know, to, to the casual fan will just come out of nowhere and, you know, be a, a solid player in this, in this whole process or the, the plan as we'll call it. So I, I hope he gets the start tonight. I, I would love to see him and see what he can do at the major league level because uh, he had a great year in double A. Sure. Um, I, I think that's going to wrap it up guys. Uh, we'll, we will talk to you next week. Um, again, we inch closer and closer to the playoffs uh, or to uh, the off season, but uh, you know, we will now probably have some Kyle Lewis and some Jake Fraley and some Donnie Walton, Art Warren and justice Sheffield, Justin Dunn. Um, Shed you know, long. shed long. Yep. Quite a few young players to talk about. Um, so that, that definitely does help. Uh, it gives us a lot to talk about where we aren't trying to scramble and, uh, figure out if we're going to talk about the Mariners bad bullpen for the 78th time. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll be back next week with more of that. We'll also probably be, uh, again, slowly, but surely we're, we're kind of rolling out our off season stuff here at the website make sure you visit the website sotomojo.com for all your mariners news content and opinion Uh, make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any new episodes Uh, you can follow us on twitter at sotomojofs and if you have any questions comments concerns jokes uh john Heyman hate uh maybe we should call him john hateman um (laughs) if you have any you have anything like that uh feel free to send it to us on twitter at sotomojofs uh so once again thank you guys so much for listening And I will see you in another life. Peace out. Peace.